Uh, I want to give you one tiny bit of context which I think is important, which is just earlier on in Mark chapter 6, um, and you can read this later on for yourself, um, Jesus sent out the 12. So having called the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles to himself, Jesus earlier in Mark 6 sent them out to preach, to heal the sick, and to drive out demons. And one of the things it says as he sends them out is he gave them authority. That's a little phrase that's often used when Jesus is sending out the disciples. He gave them authority and he sent them out to preach, to heal, to drive out demons. So that's a little bit of our context. That's just happened a little bit before uh, the story that we come to this morning. But we're going to read from Mark 6, reading from verse 30. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But... Many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. And maybe worth saying at this point, one of the other gospel writers tells us, uh, clarifies that that was just the men. So there were many women and children as well. So we, we don't know the total number um, of those who were there. Um, I, wonder, I wonder if you ever had the experience um, of being exhausted after a busy day or week. I'm sure you've definitely had that experience. But have you, have you had the experience of being exhausted and going to look for a quiet place to rest? And just as you get kind of sitting in your chair, somebody comes looking for you, right? Somebody who needs you, somebody who needs something from you. Um, those who are parents with young children will be very familiar with this feeling. It's literally just as your bum hits the chair. Uh, that somebody will come looking for you. I'm not talking about mine who are all older now and can look after themselves. Um, but I wonder if you had that, that feeling. You're looking for the quiet place, but somebody needs you. Somebody comes looking for you. 
Um, in this story, the disciples are tired and ready for a rest. Jesus says, let's go to the, the Eremos, the quiet place, which we talked about um, a few weeks ago. Um, Jesus invites them to come with him to that place. But it's kind of slightly comic, isn't it, the way it plays out? By the time they arrive on the boat, the crowd is already there. The crowd have gone on foot and run and got to the place before them. So even before they get to the quiet place, their peace is interrupted. The crowd is waiting. And we know uh, from reading in Mark's gospel, the crowd, this crowd is a crowd full of ordinary people. Um, it's a crowd full of messy, broken, needy people who are all looking for something from Jesus. Um, and I guess I want to ask the question, how would you respond? <laughs> right? You've had, you've had a busy time doing important things, good things. You're ready for your rest. You go deliberately to your place of rest. And then here are all these people and they want something from you. Um, and I find it really challenging when I read the story and maybe the words I want to really focus on this morning. It says about Jesus, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus responds to this interruption with compassion and not irritation. Um, in Luke's version of the story, it simply says he welcomed them, which I found equally moving um, and striking. He welcomed them. Um, I don't know about you, that is not my natural default response when people interrupt my plans or disturb my peace, <laughs> to welcome them, to have compassion on them. Um, how about you? Um, what, what I notice as I, I pay attention to, to what it says in Mark's gospel is the key to Jesus' response is in the way that he sees the crowd. Um, what does he see when he looks at the crowd? He doesn't just see, as we might have done, a noisy, needy, selfish, demanding, messy, annoying crowd who've come to interrupt his quiet time. Um, it seems he sees beneath the surface level, and what he sees is sheep without a shepherd. That's what he sees when he looks at the crowd. Um, now I have to confess, um, whenever I was preparing, um, Rachel Robinson's uh, wonderful prayer letter, her prayer letters are always wonderful, um, had come in, and I saw a photograph and thought, that's the perfect photo. Uh, but then I realized I got it wrong, because Rachel shared this little photo. Um, of her workplace in Cameroon um, and an animal that had come wandering in as I think happens regularly uh, but then I realized it's not a sheep um, I thought this was a sheep without a shepherd uh, but it's actually a goat so uh, but I thought I would share it with you anyway because it's it's not adorable um, and I think whether it's a goat or a sheep we have the same heart response when you see that little animal you want to make sure it gets home safely right you there's a protective instinct in you uh, whenever you see it Jesus sees the crowd and he sees sheep without a shepherd. He sees people who are lost and foolish and helpless and scared. Um, in Matthew's gospel, he adds these words. He says he saw people who were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Right? That's what he sees. Um, I want to encourage you to think about the people you rub shoulders with every day, 
uh, whether it's your family or your housemates or your friends or your neighbors or your colleagues who you work with or the many, many strangers that you pass or interact with as you go about your days in a shop or on the bus or as you drive down the road. Um, the people you encounter during your week will often be difficult to love and welcome, right? They'll sometimes challenge your capacity for welcome and compassion. They will often be irritating or annoying or selfish or thoughtless or demanding. And we're often gonna be tempted when that happens to turn the boat around and get back to the other shore and just get out of there. We'll have a reaction of wanting to flee. But this story, I think, encourages us to take a moment and look again. Look again at the people that are bumping into you, the people that are annoying you, the people that are bothering you, uh, the people that are stressing you out. Take another look. Um, ask Jesus to help you to see them the way he sees them. And you may start to see something else. Something may start to shift in the way that you see, and then things go from there. Um, one, one of the Christian books um, that probably I've gone back to most often in my life is a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son uh, by Henry Nouwen. Um, and the book, the book is both a reflection on the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son and also on this beautiful painting by Rembrandt uh, of that story. Um, and Henry Nouwen was so um, captivated by the story and also by the painting that he actually traveled to St. Petersburg in Russia to go to the Hermitage, which is the place where this painting is hung. Um, apparently, by the way, it's massive, it's huge. You, you don't know until you go and see a painting how big it's gonna be, but apparently this one is um, enormous. Um, and Henry Nouwen, as an author uh, with, who was kind of uh, fairly well known, um, got permission to stay, I think, for two or three days. So for two or three days, he sat in front of that painting, just looking at it and seeing as the light changed through the room, he noticed different things in the painting and he reflected on the story uh, of the prodigal son. Um, but as he was doing that, there was, there was a young Russian guard who'd been assigned to look after him and make sure he didn't steal any priceless paintings. Um, and he and the guard had kind of awkward interactions because uh, Henry Nouwen spoke no uh, Russian and the, the guard didn't speak English or Dutch, which were Henry Nouwen's languages. Um, and so they had these awkward interactions. I think at one point the guard got cross with him for moving a chair and shouted at him in Russian and they kind of all these little awkward interactions. Um, for some reason, although I love lots of stuff in that book, this is the thing that has always stayed with me. Um, it's nothing to do with the story of the prodigal son, uh, but it's just these few sentences. Uh, near the end of Henry Nouwen's time in that, visiting that place, he says, when I left the painting, I walked up to the young guard and I tried to express my gratitude for his putting up with me for so long. And as I looked into his eyes under the large Russian cap, I saw a man like myself, afraid, but with a great desire to be forgiven. That sentence has always stayed with me. It's, an extra, it's just an ordinary moment of two people who'd had an awkward interaction and kind of been a little bit sharp with each other a couple of times. But in that moment, God gave Henry Nouwen different eyes 
the same. And he says, I saw a man like myself, scared with a great desire to be forgiven. And I think when we ask Jesus to help us see people as he sees them, we will start to see people like ourselves. Um, so there's no room for smugness or superiority. We're not smarter or better or more spiritual. Because um, left to ourselves, we are lost, foolish, helpless, scared sheep. Right? That's who we are. In need of somebody to come and gather us up and bring us home. And so as we ask God to give us those eyes, we start to see people like ourselves. Um, whenever I was growing up, my, my little sister um, is much more compass naturally compassionate than I am. Um, and I always remember when we were growing up, um, if we in our family were kind of talking about someone, as you sometimes do, in a way that was a little bit mean or a little bit um, gossipy or a little bit, uh, and we were maybe talking about somebody we all knew who was just a bit annoying or a bit difficult, um, my sister had a kind of catchphrase. She would always go, "Uck, they're just confused. <laughs> um, and I would sometimes argue with her, as big brothers do, and say, they're not just confused, they're, they're also selfish. Um, and they're responsible for their own actions. They're not just the victim. Um, and of course I was right. Um, because <laughs> because we, know, we know all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. People are responsible for their own actions. But also I think my sister was right. And maybe closer to the heart of Jesus than me. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. But also... All like sheep have gone astray. And everyone we know is a, a lost sheep. And so we're all confused and lost and scared. And we, we all really need someone to see us and then respond with compassion and welcome, which is what Jesus did in the story that we read. Um, maybe I can plant the thought in your mind. Maybe you could do that for someone this week. It'd be somebody in your week and you look once and you find them annoying. <laughs> and you ask Jesus, help me see them the way you see them. And look, look again. And maybe you'll see someone a lot like yourself. Um, which means they're a sinner. And it also means they're a bit lost and a bit confused and a bit scared. And maybe then you'll find the compassion of Jesus starting to bubble up in you. We sometimes sing, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. And maybe I'm suggesting another, another line where we, we say, I not only want to see you, but I also want to see other people the way you see them. It makes all the difference to the way we live when we start to see them the way Jesus sees them. Um, so that's kind of the first big um, simple challenge that I want to throw out this morning. Um, can we pray that Jesus would help us see people the way he sees them? Um, the second one um, is this. Um, I find myself really struck as I reflected on this story by this moment in the story. Um, and Luke and Mark and Matthew and their accounts all include this moment, so I think it's, it's really important. Um, Jesus says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. Um, and I find myself thinking about that and wondering, why, why did Jesus not just perform the miracle himself without involving the disciples? And I find myself reflecting on that context earlier in Mark 6 that Jesus is training his disciples to send them out 
He wants to involve his disciples in his kingdom work. He wants to teach them to do the things that he is doing. And so as part of that training, he says to them, you give them something to eat. And of course, unsurprisingly, the disciples plead inadequacy. And you can, you can sympathize with them here. Jesus is asking them to do something that is ridiculously impossible. Right? There's thousands of people. They have five loaves and two fish. They have nowhere near enough money to buy food for everybody. So they can't do. Jesus is, is literally asking them to do something wildly impossible. Um, but I want to suggest what the disciples haven't yet understood um, is what Jeanette um, taught us so powerfully a few weeks ago, and I've been thinking about it ever since Jeanette talked about this, um, um, that whenever Jesus gives you a command, his words contain the power to do what he asks. I think that's an incredibly profound realization. Because Jesus is the living word of God become flesh, his words are incredibly powerful. And we see that in lots of ways. And we've seen it in Mark's gospel. Jesus speaks a word, peace, be still, and the storm is calmed. Right? Jesus speaks a word and the demon leaves a man. Um, in, in John's gospel, we see when Jesus speaks a word, a dead man comes out of the tomb. Right? So Jesus' words are incredibly powerful. They make something happen. And Jeanette was reminding us um, and this was a, a really new insight for me, um, that story of, of Jesus walking on the water and that really funny little detail where Peter says to Jesus, tell me to come to you, right? And Jeanette was saying, why, why, did, why did Peter say that? Because Peter knew that if Jesus asks you to do something, then you can do it. And so he knew as soon as Jesus said, come, then it was possible because the words of Jesus are powerful. I think that's an incredible insight. Um, Think of the wedding at Cana. Um, do you remember the words of the mother of, of Mary, the mother of Jesus? She said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And they do what Jesus tells them to do and a miracle takes place. And again, he involves other people in the miracle. Um, or think of the disciples out fishing and they catch nothing. And Jesus says, put your net down there. And they do what he tells them to do. And there's a miracle of abundance that happens. When people take Jesus at their word and obey, something powerful and miraculous happens. So the disciples haven't yet realized that. They haven't realized when Jesus asks you to do something, even if it's impossible, if you just will take him at his word and step out, then something remarkable will happen. And I love in this story, as so often, um, Jesus in his kindness still involves the disciples, even though initially um, they're full of doubt and full of uncertainty and not sure what to do. Did you notice in the end still when he, he breaks the bread on the fish, he doesn't just give it to the people himself. He gives it to his disciples and says, you give it to them. And, and they participate in the miracle. Um, they experience a miracle of incredible abundance. Um, and the, I lo I've always loved the end of the story when they gather up um, the 12 baskets of uh, bread and fish. Um, do you remember the reading earlier from Exodus that uh, Steph read to us? Um, God provided bread from heaven. Um, and I love the details in the story that um, every person gathered just enough. Those who gathered a lot didn't have too much. Those who gathered a little um, uh, didn't have too little. 
Um, but here in this story, and I think it's meant to remind us of the story of the manna, um, Jesus shows himself to be one greater than Moses because here each person is satisfied and there are 12 basketfuls left over. Um, there's one for each disciple as the disciples are being trained. And I, I, it's not in the story, but I like to think that they took the baskets with them wherever they went next because they they'd enough food for themselves, but also food to share and to share the surplus and the overflow um, of the abundance of what God had given them. Jesus is the one who does immeasurably, abundantly more than all we can ask or imagine and who gives us enough but also more so we can share it with others as we go. And so that's kind of my second maybe simple challenge to us this morning. Um, first to ask uh, Jesus to help us to see others the way he sees them, but then to take on this challenge. Um, Jesus says to us, he wants to involve us in the miracle. You give them something to eat. Um, I find myself thinking, you know, what has Jesus commanded you and I to do? Um, so this was the command that he gave the disciples that day, but what, what has he commanded you and I to do? And of course, there's lots of answers to that. He's commanded us to love our enemy and, and love our neighbor and welcome the stranger and practice hospitality and feed the hungry and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations and be the salt of the earth and be the light of the world and various other things as well. Um, and maybe in some ways we could sum that up by saying Jesus points to the hungry crowd out there and he says, you give them something to eat, <laughs> right? He says that to, to us. And of course, if we have any wit, we plead inadequacy like the disciples. Um, the disciples said, all we have is five loaves and two fish. And maybe we say to Jesus, well, all I have is this very ordinary personality and these talents, and this brain, and this face, and these hands, and it doesn't seem like enough, right? Have you seen the crowd out there? Have you seen the world? Have you seen the brokenness? Have you seen the mess? Have you seen the hunger? Have you seen the need? Jesus says, you go and give them something to eat. We, we know that we don't have what it takes to change the world, or even to change one human heart. But if what we've been reflecting on is true, if Jesus has commanded you, then his words contain the power to do what he asks. And all you have to do is take him at his word and step out. In other words, Jesus is not waiting for people who are super talented or super confident or super spiritual. He's, he's simply waiting for people who are willing to make themselves available and to take him at his word and say, if you've called me out on the water, then maybe I can do it. If you've called me to go and feed the hungry and welcome the stranger and love my enemy and share the gospel, then maybe I can do it. Because the power is in his words. The power is in his command. And as we do that, we'll find ourselves involved in stories of miracle, in stories of abundance, in stories of God doing above and beyond immeasurably more than all we ever asked or imagined. And it must have been amazing for the disciples that day, right? They get to be involved in the miracle um, as they, they keep passing out the bread and wine and then to their amazement find that it's, it's not running out and there seems to be more than we began with as they go. And so maybe the, the only question there for us is, do we, believe, do we believe the words of Jesus? 
do we believe that the words of Jesus are powerful? He says, go, go, go this week and give them something to eat. <clears throat> so those really are the reflections I've had um, that I wanted to pass on this morning, but I want to finish with one final thing. Um, I kind of wanted to end there, but there's one more thing that has been on my heart that I want to, uh, want to pass on. Um, in chapter 7 of Mark, as we read on, if, you, if you're reading through Mark, if you keep reading, um, in the next chapter, we actually find a very similar story. Uh, and this can be kind of really puzzling. Uh, whenever we get to the next chapter, we read a story about Jesus feeding 4,000 people with seven loaves and a few small fish, and there are seven baskets left over. And you can find yourself kind of really puzzled. Like, why would Mark include two almost identical miracles in his gospel? Um, and in fact, why would he include a second one that, although it's really, really amazing, is actually slightly less impressive than the first one? Because there's slightly less people and slightly more food and slightly less left over. So why would Mark, why would Mark include that? It seems a bit, a bit strange. You'd put that one first, maybe, um, and then uh, include the, the, the greater one. And I think, as, as different people have puzzled over this, many people have noticed, and um, we maybe need to look at a map, um, the first story, the one we read today, happens somewhere on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. We don't know exactly where. But in other words, it happens in Galilee. It happens in the land of Israel. It happens among Jesus' own people. Um, but the second story, the feeding of the 4,000, happens in the area of the Decapolis which is over on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, um, in what would be modern-day Jordan, and, or maybe up even into Syria. Um, in other words, it was in Gentile territory, east of the Jordan. One miracle happens among the people of Israel. One happens among their Gentile neighbors, who often were seen as enemies. Um, if you want to push it slightly further, uh, some people have wondered, um, 12 is the number of the people of Israel because of the 12 tribes. There are 12 basketfuls that are left over. Um, seven sometimes in the Bible is the number of the Gentiles. There were seven nations who lived in the land before Israel lived there in Deuteronomy chapter seven. And in the second story, there are seven basketfuls of fish and bread that are left over. And I find myself this week um, wondering what is Mark telling us for those with ears to hear by including those two stories. I think what he's telling us is something like this, that Jesus is the bread from heaven, as, as Matthew reminded us earlier on. Um, Jesus has come to feed all who are hungry, starting with his own people, Israel, but then also going beyond the borders to their neighbors and enemies. As Paul says in Romans 1, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Right, that's why it's in that order uh, as we read the story. And of course, that's really good news for us because we live way beyond the borders of Israel and the good news has reached us. Right? So we're really glad that the, the bread is shared way beyond the borders of Israel and has reached even us on our little island uh, out here. But I also found myself really challenged this week about what is happening in Israel and Gaza. Um, and I do want to say I'm not wanting to make a political comment at all. Um, you may have your own opinion about the politics, but I want us to hear the challenge of the gospel. 
because I find myself reflecting, what does Jesus see as he looks at a crowd of ordinary people in Israel? What does Jesus see as he looks at a crowd of ordinary people in Gaza and other parts of Palestine? And I find myself really convicted. He sees people who are like sheep without a shepherd. And he has compassion on all who are lost and all who are hurting and all who are scared. And he longs to bind up their wounds and carry them home and feed them with the bread from heaven. Um, and I find myself convicted in my spirit. What do I see? Um, Jesus on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. In both stories it says he saw the crowd and he had compassion and he fed them. As followers of this Jesus, how do we see, how do we pray, how do we speak? Um, I want to leave that with you.